Marcus House, this is John Lawrence. What's up, man? John Lawrence, my man. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you great. Perfect. What's up, folks? This is John. Today on the podcast, I catch up with Marcus House about his decision to live in an ambulance during the anesthesia school. You heard that right. Marcus picked up a retired ambulance and outfitted it as his home on wheels for clinical rotations that take him far away from his home base where his wife lives. Marcus is currently working towards completing his Doctor of Nurse Anesthesia practice at Missouri State University. He completed two Bachelor of Science degrees, one in education and the other in nursing, both from Southeast Missouri State University, which happens to also be one of my alma maters. Marcus worked for seven years as a high school science teacher alongside his wife, Casey, also a high school teacher, before returning to nursing school. He spent three years working in a CVICU prior to pursuing his doctorate degree in anesthesia. He would like you to know that he, quote, knows when to hold him and when to fold him. He once owned a Nintendo Power Glove, and he's comfortable being either Big Spoon or Little Spoon. In all seriousness, choosing to go mobile for your housing arrangements during graduate school or residency, depending on your clinical rotations, may make a lot of sense. As Marcus points out in this podcast, he's saving money compared to the cost of rent while enjoying his personalized home on wheels that will be his to keep after anesthesia school. With many graduate anesthesia programs sending their SRNAs wide and far for clinical rotations, it can be extremely challenging to find affordable housing on the fly in grad school while still maintaining rent or mortgage at a home base. Now, living in a van, or for that matter, an ambulance, is definitely not for everyone, but it's a trend that's been growing for years in the U.S. and one that's becoming even hotter in the era of COVID-19 as many professionals have shifted to virtual work platforms and are often not required to show up at the office in person. Professional companies that specialize in van conversions, which take metal cargo vans and transform them into comfortable homes complete with like beds, kitchens, bathrooms, even showers. These companies are experiencing an incredible surge in commissions and orders this year. Some of them, I saw one yesterday that has a two-year wait list. They're not taking orders till the fall of 2022. So while Marcus retrofitted a retired ambulance as a way to get by an anesthesia school, my wife and I waited until we had both graduated from CRNA school to do our own build out on a 144-inch wheelbase 4x4 Sprinter van. We had no idea how to approach a project like that. But as Marcus says in this episode, there's a YouTube video for just about everything. Kristen and I managed to put together a pretty fun travel van that has served us really well on road trips ranging from weekend getaways to multi-week cross-country adventures with our dogs. If you want to figure out your own van or ambulance conversion and save a ton of money by doing it on your own, you don't have to look very far in the internet webs to find a virtual plethora of blogs, Instagram and Pinterest feeds and YouTube channels dedicated to hashtag van life for ideas and guides on build outs. I put a few photos of Marcus's ambulance, which he and Casey affectionately refer to as Bernice on the website for this episode. And you'll find even more photos at anesthesia guidebooks, Instagram page. I'll also include some photos on Instagram from the Sprinter van that Kristen and I built out. Don't hesitate to reach out to Marcus via Facebook or email. He's at 
marcus.house1 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-C-U-S dot H-O-U-S-E, the number one at gmail.com. Or drop a question or comment on the website for this episode, the Anesthesia Guidebook Facebook page, or our Instagram feed. This show is coming out on October the 2nd, 2020. International Podcast Day was September the 30th. And as I thought about this show this week, I was reminded of how grateful I am for all the listeners who've tuned in over the years. Y'all are the reason I produce this show, and I'm so grateful for your support, feedback, encouragement, and engagement over the years. I love hearing from you and your comments, emails, and reviews have not only made the show better, but serve as a huge source of motivation for producing the show. As I've transitioned from producing from the head of the bed to anesthesia guidebook, I need your help in getting the word out. If this show has been meaningful to you or helpful, it would mean so much to me if you would take a couple minutes and share an episode with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, or whatever social media outlet you're on, or even drop your classmates or colleagues an email with a link to one of the shows. Writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show also helps others see the value that you find in it. Again, your feedback is super important, so don't hesitate to drop me a line. In the coming weeks, you'll hear more on pharmacology and other clinical topics, so be sure to stay tuned. And with that, let's get to the show. Well, hey, man, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I'm stoked to talk to you about your decision to live in an ambulance during graduate school. Yeah, man, I'm uh, happy to be here. I'm glad uh, glad you reached out, and I'm uh, sort of excited to talk about this. It's been a neat neat experience, for sure, and it's challenging, but uh, worth it, I think, in the end. Nice, nice. Well, would you tell the listeners a little bit about your decision and path to becoming a CRNA first? So a little bit about your background and uh, where you ended up landing for anesthesia school. Absolutely. Um, so nursing and well, CRNA is a second, second career gig for me. Uh, I started off as an educator. I was a, a high school science teacher, did that for seven years and kind of got to this point where I was just sort of, um, sort of disenamored with the, um, the classroom teaching. I got, you know, sort of into this rut where I was, I felt like I was tired and I was, you know, evaluating my time. And I just realized that, you know, there was this, you know, this frustration with my efficacy as an educator. You know, I, I, I taught, you know, core concept classes. And of course, you're sort of encumbered by these uh, standardized tests at the end of uh, a year. And it was almost like a, a slap in my student's face and a slap in my face uh, to kind of, uh, you know, look at that in the grand scheme of things. And be like, oh, there's this like 36 question multiple choice test that is supposed to be the summation of, uh, you know, whether or not you quote unquote get an entire subject, you know, so you know, I got into education and in, into science because I thought it was cool and I wanted, you know, kids to have the opportunity to kind of explore, uh, you know, their natural curiosities and then just, you know, you, you didn't have the time for that, I felt like. And, you know, I was in a great school district. I, you know, I, I had great groups of kids, uh, had a awesome uh, sort of rapport with my students and with my uh, you know fellow faculty and you know great administrators it's just the job was I was I was done man it's it some people you know they really thrive in that uh, with that challenge and I just didn't yeah yeah so where did you get the idea for nursing and then anesthesia school so I had some friends that were in 
uh, DO program at the time. And we just, you know, got to talking, you know, catching up and talking about life and things like that. And it was kind of, you know, expressed kind of where I was in my career and where I wanted to be. And, you know, one of them had suggested, you know, you should look into doing like PA school. And the other's like, no, nah, man, you should, you should look into doing CRNA. And at the time, man, I didn't have really any idea about either one. I mean, I'd seen some PAs before, you know, uh, dealing with like sports injuries and things like that. Um, but I had no idea about CRNA. So I just kind of looked into it and it really seemed like something I was interested in. Of course, like, you know, with the, the background in science, you know, the physiology, the, uh, you know, the pharmacology and pharmacokinetics um, really spoke to me. And then, of course, all the gadgets and stuff. I'm kind of like a, a gear nerd. So uh, it was like, oh, this is like the perfect this is the perfect job. It's like applied anatomy and physiology. And uh, uh, I just looked at what I needed to do to kind of go down that route. And I started taking uh, some steps to do that. You know, I took prerequisites to get into nursing school um, that I was lacking, um, uh, went through a nursing school program. And then everything I did in nursing school was sort of geared towards what can I do to make sure that I'm in an ICU directly out. And yeah. I was like, you know, that guy, like, you know, first guy on the door to sign up to, you know, for clinical preference and things like that. And I just was really fortunate the way that things you know, worked out for me in uh, my nursing program that I did end up in a, uh, an ICU directly out. And it was, you know, I had great mentors within the ICU also. So, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. And you've landed at uh, Missouri State down in Springfield, Missouri for anesthesia school. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's and it's, right. A, it's a DNP program? Uh, yeah, it's a DNAP pro- program. DNAP, cool. And when do you finish? Yeah. Uh, I'll be finished in May of next year, so May twenty one. All right, so you're uh, you're you're closing out anesthesia school right now, so you're uh, within your last year. That's super exciting, man. Um, so we're chatting today because uh, one, we know each other, right? So your wife and I grew up in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Uh, her mom and my mom were good friends. They worked in public education together. So we've known about each other for a while. And then when you started going to anesthesia school, I was super stoked to hear about that, um, to see that change that you all were, were going through. And then you bought an ambulance to live in, uh, during anesthesia school, which is super interesting. You know, my wife and I, we picked up a, a sprinter van after we got out of anesthesia school, outfitted that thing. We've been traveling around, you know, during our free time, uh, we're on a van trip this week, actually. Um, so recording this on the road, but, uh, I'm super interested to talk about your decision to live in an ambulance because I, I think not only is it just fun to talk about and to think about, but it's also probably a viable idea for a lot of SRNAs around the nation who have, uh, far away clinical sites and they've got to travel quite a bit. So I think there's some practicality for other graduate students out there. When did it occur to you that picking an, up an ambulance to live in for clinical would be a good idea? Well, first, uh, uh, you and Kristen were 100% my inspiration. <laughs> your, your sweet sprinter setup. Nice. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd always been interested in that, you know, the idea of kind of having a van of some kind, um, you know, even before I got into CRNA school and just never really pulled the trigger on it. Um, and at one point I was just kind of, reading through a like an overlanding forum and somebody posted this picture of this ambulance that was like jacked up on you know four-wheel drive with like 35 inch tires and it just looked like this this rig that would you know be able to get you through armageddon and i was like oh that's so cool so that was kind of seated in the back of my mind i just kind of forgot about it i guess and then i guess the the point at which i realized that it would be a viable option was 
looking for housing on my first clinical rotation. The, the program I'm in, you know, like many programs, sends you to different uh, clinical sites. And I knew I was going to have to do four different clinical sites. And, you know, some of those, you know, might be as long as a year where it'd be easy to get, you know, a year lease. But, you know, you're still paying apartment prices and or whatever, Airbnb, things like that. And then some were maybe three months and it makes it more difficult, like almost exponentially so yep. to try to find um you know, housing for just that three months or whatever. So, you know, I went down to my first clinical site to the town and kind of get a lay of the land, looked at some different places. You know, I looked at like rooms in people's houses, looked at apartments and nothing was really just working out or just, you know, jumping out at me, especially for the prices. And I was, I guess, you know, a little dejected by that experience. And as I was driving back up to Springfield, I just happened to be kind of looking through, um, I don't know if it's Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or something, but I saw this link to this this ambulance um, is listed on Craigslist, and it was in Kansas. And my wife just happened to call me at that point, and she's like, "Hey, how did uh, how did the housing search go?" Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, I did. Did didn't go great, but I did find this." And I sent <laughs> a, a, a text of it, and she's like, uh, "You know, I was just kind of in jest, you know." And she's like. Uh, do what you got to do, babe. I, I like, I'm like, what? I, I literally pulled over and uh, like called her. I'm like, listen, girl, you don't know what you're opening up. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, I'm like, are you serious? You know, is this, a, <laughs> is, this, is this a thing? And she's like, you know, if you can't find someplace to live and, you know, uh, clinicals are coming up, you know, you want to do, to do a van. I think this is a good opportunity. So she's been like my cheerleader and support for this. Uh, you know, that's number one, the luckiest aspect of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, Casey's good on that for sure, man. Uh, she's always been super motivated and enthusiastic and supportive of other people. So I'm stoked that, and, and adventurous. So I'm stoked that she uh, green-lighted the whole project. That's awesome. Uh, so the idea of the ambulance came, I mean, you saw this like overland photo of a jacked-up 4x4 ambulance. I mean, did you consider... And then it popped up on Craigslist. Did you consider other vehicles like vans or trucks, or was it just like the the convenience of of seeing that one particular ambulance that was for sale at that time? I think you know I, I definitely had considered like even even before I went to go look for apartments and things like that. That was kind of in the back of my mind, like oh man, that would be a pretty easy thing to do. Um, I knew that something like an RV or you know a trailer or something like that would be harder to do because I mean realistically i mean it's not like an ambulance is the most inconspicuous sort of rig <laughs> you know but parked in a parked in a hospital parking lot you know you, there start to be some sort of gray area there but yeah um it, it would be less likely that a hospital would be like oh yeah go ahead and park your you know used winnebago or something out in the parking lot so you know so there, there's some that, there's some strategy involved in it <laughs> for sure for sure so, nice it was like serendipity whenever I, that, that came up. So that's yeah, I awesome. contacted the guy and, uh, some of the, the, my buddies in the program and I drove to Hayes, Kansas from Springfield or just North of Hayes and picked it up. Uh, this, uh, this old boy had bought two ambulances from this rural district in Kansas. And he had aspirations on turning one in RV. And whenever I told him what my plans were, he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I and mean, he not, you know, knock some money off of it for me and everything. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so the rest is sort of history as far as that goes. Well, so give us a little virtual tour of the ride, man. Uh, like what, what year of ambulance is it? Does it have like, 
decals on the outside of it? Um, how many miles does it have? Do the lights still work? I got so many questions about this thing. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, so it is a 1995 Ford E350, um, van ambulance. So as far as like ambulances go, there are types, it's going to be a type three ambulance, meaning it's got like the full, like the full unbox with the external storage and everything. Yeah. Um, it's got a, yeah, I, I'd done a, you know, a lot of previous research just because I, like I said, I was interested, um, in the idea of having a van and, you know, there's a company that's been doing off-road vans for a long time, Sportsmobile, and they kind of specialize in E-Series. So I knew sort of the platform that I wanted and this kind of fit the bill for that. It has, uh, um, a diesel motor has a seven, three power stroke, which is, you know, by all accounts, this sort of like bomb proof indestructible engine, as long as you take care of it. And that's one of the main things that I was uh, interested in was just, okay, I'm not going to have time to clinical stuff. I want something that's going to, just going to work on yeah. and maintain it. Right. So that was, that was one of the boxes that got ticked off. Um, and then just all of the external storage and the fact that, you know, there are, uh, you know, cabinets already made inside, you know, I was thinking about that time factor. I'm like, man, I'm not going to have time to really just convert something right before I go to clinical. Yeah. So totally. what can I, what can I do? you know, to get in this as fast as possible. And that just, it made sense uh, as far as that's concerned. That's awesome, man. So, uh, h- how many miles does it have on it? Uh, I bought it with 65,000 miles. Oh, that's not too so, bad. No, it's not. Well, so the the way that works is um, it was, like I said, a, a rural county in Kansas. So there's you know some sort of law or, um, you know, I don't know, statute or, or whatever. Like basically an ambulance has to be retired if it's active in active use, it has to be retired after a hundred thousand miles or 10 years. So oh, obviously this was 10 years old before it got retired and it probably sat around in a lot somewhere. Yeah. You know, a lot of d- dust on it and things like that, but you know, worked out for me, man. That's like the perfect ambulance versus one that's been like hard driven city life, you know, emergency traffic style. You never know yeah, what those, those EMT paramedic kids are doing, you know, <laughs> right. right, right. Yeah, uh, you have some experience with that. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit more about the van. Cause I think this is super interesting. Um, sure. so it's like, uh, have you done any modifications to it or is it like straight up ambulance? Are you sleeping on like, uh, the, the wheelie stretcher, the patient stretcher inside, or did you, <laughs> did you hook something else up in there? Uh, I, that was one of the first things I hooked up, man. I couldn't be doing the stretcher life. So <laughs> I, uh, it's a work in progress. Let's just put it that way. Okay. So the, you know, as you, you know, as you're living in, uh, you know, tight quarters like this, you start realizing, you know, well, what's, you know, what's important to have, you know, what are some luxuries and things like that. You know, obviously the first thing that I thought of was like, you know, I want to be well rested whenever I'm going to clinical and stuff. So, uh, I built a bed, um, a, a friend of mine in the program had access to like a two basketball court worth of, uh, maple flooring. Oh, wow. Those pulled up from, you know, these two gyms. So, I just went and got a bunch of this like, you know, tongue and groove maple flooring and kind of ripped it down and then made a, like this sort of uh, a sliding bled, bed platform out of that. So it can be like couch mode or bed mode. You know, yeah. it's like interlocking, like if you were to kind of interlace your fingers. Um, so I made the bed, uh, put a mattress on there and I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. I can camp out of this because, you know, I've had a lot of experience with that. I'm like, you know, I can, I can do this. And then uh, from there, it was just adding things initially out of necessity. So living in a metal box in the parking lot in a Midwest summer is yeah 
challenging at times. And last summer was challenging. <laughs> so I didn't have any sort of, you know, electrical system set up other than what's going on in the van. And you just can't sit with the idling, you know, a, a diesel motor idling in the parking lot, especially trying to be, you know, trying to be as conspicuous or, yeah, or right, inconspicuous right, right. as possible. You know what I mean? So I uh, was fortunate that uh, uh, one of my friends in, uh, that was at the same clinical site let me borrow his like goal zero battery. Yeah. And this is like a, a, you know, a, a, the small version of the goal zero. It was enough to basically hold a charge for like a fan for one night. Oh <laughs> so my would, gosh, dude. I would uh, initially have like a lot of battery powered items for, yeah. for lighting. And I would be really conservative on the use of the lights. And, you know, you know, in the OR, there's all kinds of, you know, opportunities to sort of scavenge batteries and things like that when things are, are finished for use, like the um, irrigation devices. I know that they hold like six to eight batteries, depending on the yeah, uh, yeah. AA batteries, depending on the type. And then um, the uh, laryngoscope blades that we we're using at that site were disposable, like the one piece type of deal. And they had uh, a little pack of three AAA batteries in them. So Every patient that I innovated was three free batteries. <laughs> Dude, I know you've been a raft guide for a long time, but I'm just happy that that uh, dirtbag status is being kept alive uh, during your van life in Anesthesia School. Dude, who would have who would have thought that those were the lessons from uh, dirtbagging around? I mean, the, I mean, life lessons, man. They they come yeah. into play down the road. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you've got a fan. Uh, hanging okay. out in in Southwest Missouri summers. Are you are you cooking in the van? Do you have a fridge? Do you have water? So initially, yeah, I had a little uh, Coleman two burner stove, and uh, for water, initially, I just had um, you know one of those little you know three gallon, two and a half gallon uh, you know clear containers with a spigot from Walmart. You yeah. know, the keeping out. So that's that was sort of my my setup for the beginning of the summer. I'm like, man, I got to do something different. So I started thinking about it and, you know, one of the biggest obstacles was trying to just overcome the, I had this apprehension about dealing with the electrical system in the ambulance. Cause it's all, right. you know, it's, it's all professionally done and everything, but it's hard to get to, you know what I mean? Because it's behind walls and things yeah. like that. And I don't have a tremendous amount of experience with this at this point. So it was just overcoming that sort of, you know, initial anxiety, but man, there's a YouTube video out there for everything. There sure so, is, man. Yeah. So I uh, decided solar was the way to go for sure. So I, I um, put currently have 300 watts of solar panel on top, and then I have um, two golf cart batteries um, that are sort of wired in series to be a uh, like a big 12 volt battery. So I have 225 amp hours worth of battery, which for me is is great because I don't have a tremendous amount of stuff. I, you know went through and I converted all of the lighting inside the ambulance to led lights. So it saved a nice. tremendous amount as far as, uh, you know, power draw goes. Yeah. So, you know, now I've got you know, led lights, I've got, uh, you know, solar. Um, so I don't have to just, you know, sit around with the Christmas lights on in the, in the ceiling to kind of do my homework or anything like yeah, that. So yeah. Nice man. And, uh, what about Wi-Fi? Are you using like a hotspot off your phone or have you put something in? Uh, Hotspot off the phone when I need to. Um, I spend a lot of time at the hospital because I, you know, I literally live in the parking lot of the yeah. hospital most most times. Like the places that I've been have been so gracious in allowing me to kind of do that. You know, I my first site had all this sort of uh, 
you know, just again, a lot of apprehension about, you know, how am I going to do this? You know, what's, what am I going to do whenever they tell me I have to move this thing? What, what am I going to be living in the Bass Pro Shop parking lot or you yeah. know, what am I going to do? So I moved around like every night for the first, you know, several weeks at my first site. And um, then I just started kind of pushing my luck and I would just stay in the parking lot outside the ER. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, you know, I'm out there and I'm, you know, I think at one point I'm converting some of the lights over to LED and the security guards are walking up. Yeah. Like, oh, here it is. <laughs> you know, they're telling me to get this, uh, get this jalopy out of here. Um, but they came up and they, you know, were like, is this your rig? And I'm like, yeah, it's mine. And they're like, yeah, we've just seen it out here. And we had never had never seen anybody in it. We were just curious. So, you know, they expressed their curiosity and that opened the door for me to like put on my tour guide face and nice. I just showed them around and, uh, you know, opened up all of the doors and, you know, you see them kind of getting this sort of, you could, you could see the wanderlust in their eyes. Like I too could have this ambulance. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, they were stoked about it and like, all right, man, we'll just uh, let them know that this you out here. And from that on, then on, I just was able to kind of stay in parking lots. Oh, that's awesome, man. So like how, how big of a hospital was that just for a frame of reference for folks? Uh, so, you know, community size, uh, hospital, okay. um, operating, you know, 10 ORs. And then, you know, of course, like a separate sort of GI yeah. suite and same day surgery center that was, uh, you know, not associated with the, the um, the immediate hospital, you kind of had to you know, drive up the highway a little bit for that. Yeah. So. And so now as you've moved on to other clinical sites, are you just asking up front, like, Hey, I live in an ambulance. Can I park this in the parking lot? Or are you still kind of like flying under the radar until somebody notices? 100% asking up front and, you know, people, you know, people want to see you succeed and, you know, they're there, uh, and they want, they want your, your time there, uh, you know, to be one where you're learning things, but also yeah. where you're comfortable, you know? So, you know, I, I just, whenever I reach out to a new, you know, site coordinator, I'm like, Hey, you know, by the way, I live in an ambulance and, uh, <laughs> I'm curious if there are, is anywhere that I could park it whenever I'm at the, uh, uh, the hospital and, you know, inevitably they'll go sort of out of their way to make sure you, you know, you have something set up. In fact, the place um, that I'm doing clinical right now, in fact, I, I finished up this Friday at this site. It's been a great site. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've got this sort of auxiliary parking lot that has an RV hookup. Oh, wow. So, you know, I'm just plugged in. I've got AC running and oh, dude, you know, that's awesome. a lot of the, uh, the obstacles that I had over last summer were just sort of, you know, immediately circumvented by that because even with the solar, and with batteries, you can't run AC on that. It's just too much of a power draw. So, you know, I've got one of those little, you know, portable room ACs um, sitting in the pass-through of the ambulance. And the exhaust is routed out a window. And I've got, you know, cool air pumping into the box. That's what I'm talking about, man. And are yeah. you are you in the ambulance like Monday through Friday and you're going home on the weekend? Or how, how far are you away from the home base where your wife is living? So... Currently, I'm about four, a little over four hours away from home base. Okay. So, on the weekends, I'm in the ambulance um, for the most part. So, uh, or you know, she might come down to visit, or you know, I've gone to home base once during this rotation. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also you know still you know, fairly close to um, the university. So there are still some uh, some cats that are doing clinicals are close to there. So I can go up and just kind of you know, bum around with them over the weekend or something. Do some laundry so, or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Did you build that stretcher? Did you build the stretcher? Did you build that bed big enough for two people? 
I did. All right. Did. There you go. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> She'll let you live in an ambulance, but you better make some space for her. That, that's right. Yeah. So got her and, uh, uh, two 80 pound lap dogs basically. So dude, that is yeah. a very, it's a very similar setup to what we've got going on in ours, man. Two people, two big dogs and, uh, and a couch bed, same, same kind of setup, finger interlinking wood slats, the couch pulls out, makes almost a full size bed. We're like a, maybe like one inch short of a full size bed, which works. Yeah, um, works. but anyway, so the program that I'm familiar with up, that I work with as a clinical coordinator up here, the university of new England in Portland, Maine, they also ship their students around, um, to clinical sites throughout new England. So they can get a diversified experience from CRNA only to major level one trauma center, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And their SRNAs, unfortunately are often in a similar position where they're looking for housing. They're paying rent on a place where they live in town close to the university. And then they're having to pay like full Airbnb rates or whatever, as they move around to these clinical sites. So the ambulance route, I mean, do you think that this has been a, a cost savings endeavor for you? Did you, did you buy the ambulance outright? Are you making payments on it? Like help other people who might be thinking like, all right, all right, I'm tracking with this. Maybe this would work out. Like, do you think this has really saved you money as you've, as you've gone through the program? Yes, I think so. Um, so whenever I did the math initially, I was like, okay, so what's the cheapest place I'm finding it at this first clinical site? And let's say $500 a month. And I know for you know a lot of a lot of programs and in a lot of uh, parts of the country that is dirt cheap, right? Yeah, that's super uh, cheap. But that's yeah. So you know, especially in New England, that's just not going to happen, right? So let's say you know five hundred dollars a month is what I kind of uh, came up with, and uh, the ambulance paid for itself outright in the first year. So I was at that clinical site for the first year. So boom, the ambulance pays for itself. Nice. Right? So. But, you know, in the end, I still have the ambulance. I don't just have you know, money that I've you know, given to somebody for rent. Yeah, for uh, sure. But, I mean, there are challenges associated with that. I, I don't just have now. I have, you know, the ambulance is great, but I'm not living on the stretcher in there, right? So I had to build a bed and, you know, I put, I made it really homey. You know, I've got, a, a, you know, put this sort of wood looking flooring in here, you know, vinyl plank flooring and there's trim and there's, you know, lighting and solar. And, you know, I put a sink in here with running water and I have a refrigerator. So, you know, the things start sort of compounding, you know, yeah. the more sort of home-like accoutrements you add. But because it paid for itself in the first year, right? I'm like, okay. If I'm going to be living in this beyond the first year, then I'll start throwing that into the equation. Start hooking it so, up. Yeah. So, you know, now that I've lived in it for, you know, basically a year and a half, um, and by the time it's said and done, basically almost two years of living in it, all of those extra things will have paid for themselves also. And I'll still have this really cool sort of hooked up toy when it's said and done. Yeah. You so, know, so, so you plan to keep it after school? I do. Um, Casey, my wife says, otherwise she wants <laughs> to do like a, uh, she wants to do a sprinter van that okay. so, you know, I'm, I'm six foot tall and the inside of the ambulance is, um, five, eight. Yeah. So uh, it, it's lacking uh, a little bit. So it's, it would be nice to have something to be able to stand all the way up in, but it's not a deal breaker for me, obviously, you know, and she's, she's not five, eight. So I don't know what she's complaining about. Right. Dang. But, uh, we might have to edit that part out. I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I 
No, I'm just teasing. Uh, man, I tell you what, we, we traveled around for a long time in the back of a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck that had a camper shell. And that, what you just said there was the reason why we really did a sprinter van to be able to throw the thing in park and stand up and get in the back, you know, change your clothes, cook your meals, that kind of stuff and have that full headroom. Um, and it's been super fun as a travel vehicle. And I think, you know, Knowing from my personal experience of what it took to build out a van, it's it's a lot of work up front. It's something that, you know, if you knew you were going to anesthesia school, that maybe you could do that in the year or so ahead of getting into a program. But I think your approach of, you know, grabbing a rig that's already pretty much built out and then kind of uh, filling out the amenities as you go seems like a pretty reasonable approach for folks that are uh, trying to get by in a graduate program. I would, I would agree with that, but I would also sort of, you know, caution is it's, I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, I've uh, like, I kind of alluded to, and, and like you alluded to, I mean, I, you know, I did some guiding and things like that. So, you know, I'm used to sort of dirt bagging around as far as that goes. I mean, I lived in the dude's basement, in West Virginia for a while. I lived in a camp, you know, a tent in the campground in the summertime, you know, so that kind of stuff is sort of, um, things that I'm used to dealing with in my past, but, uh, uh, it's challenging. I mean, there's, I don't have a shower. So, you know, what do I do for that? You know, I, I shower in the locker room at the, at the hospital or I'll get like a, you know, a, a planet fitness gym membership or something yeah, like that, wherever yeah. I am, like one of those little, you know, 24 hour type of gigs. And, uh, one of the prerequisites there is like, is there a shower available for me? Yeah. Right. Right. So, right. You know, I'll, I'll do that. And before I had it totally hooked up, you know, uh, it was challenging in, in the sense that, you know, I didn't have running water and I didn't have, you know, a place to store my food and things like that. So, um, you know, and, you know, no, <laughs> no uh, AC in the summertime or um, wintertime was another thing. You know, it, it gets cold here also, you know, not maybe northeast cold, but, you know, ice cold. And uh, if you're not set up for that be prepared. Yeah. You're going to have a bad time sometimes. Yeah. You want to, you definitely want to think through how to be comfortable. And again, just like you said, with these clinical sites, like you want to be successful, you know, they want you to be successful, but if you're an SRNA out there listening to this, like you want to be comfortable, this needs to be a reasonable plan. Otherwise you're probably just going to be frustrated. You know, if you, if you take the plunge, but you don't do like a minimum level of hookup uh, to your situation to where you're actually comfortable um, you know, there's other ways of dirt bagging. I had a, a classmate that I think lived the last three months of his program in a hospital, like covert style. You know, he's, he was a charmer. He's a talker. So he'd, he'd go up to these, you know, inpatient med search floors and just kind of sweet talk the nurses, get to know the unit secretaries. Hey, uh, do you got any call rooms available? Like what's the patient census tonight? And, you know, he got by for three months, not paying rent. You know, his family had moved. They, I, I don't know. I think they had sold their house where they went to grad school and his family had moved to the place that they were going to take a job at, but he still had three months of clinical left, you know? So there's ways you can get by, but it needs to be reasonable to a degree, you know? So, yeah, and, and on that note, is there anything that you would give SRNAs that we haven't already talked about in terms of advice, if they're thinking about, um, doing some sort of a mobile living arrangement for clinicals in grad school? Um, if you know that you're going to do that route, let's say you're, you're looking at CRNA, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. If you could prepare and you know that you're going to do something like that ahead of time, you know, while you have the time and while you're still making, you know, some funds from your nursing gig, try to get something set up. Uh, ahead of time because that's that's the limiting factor i mean with studying for boards studying for class making sure you're prepared for clinicals time is scarce man so uh do everything you can 
to make sure that you're maximizing that. Um, if that's the route, you know, you want to go be prepared to have some, some level of discomfort. If this is the way that you want to go, it's just, uh, it's not going to be the Ritz no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you got, you got enough space in there though for your guitar. I've seen some on Facebook. You'd, you'll do an occasional video where you're kind of playing around a guitar, giving people updates and that kind of stuff. And, and do you keep anything in those outside boxes, those cabinets? Oh yeah. hundred percent. So that was, that was the allure of the ambulance from the get go was like I said, you know, not only do you have all of this cabinetry built out on the interior, that is a way higher quality than what you'd be able to throw together just preparing for clinical um, but you have all of this external storage. So I've got, you know, my battery bank is out in one of the storage uh, containers and then, you know, some, um, you know, spare parts. I've got a, a dual sport motorcycle that is my, to extend my range a little bit. I've got a, um, a hitch on the back of the ambulance and I've got my motorcycle on the back of there. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, that that's helped out quite a bit. And then I've got my water and water pump and, um, you know, tools, and things like that. And another compartment, I've got a, a big generator and another compartment, um, in case I'm, you know, without, without sunshine for several days in the winter time, or if it's raining in the spring or something like that, I've got a generator that I can sort of power stuff up. And, um, then I've got, I uh, see another compartment, I've got a paddle board and, you know, some other sort of outdoor stuff kind of tucked away in there, some camping gear and another one and, you know, clothes and things like that. So uh, there's a ton of external storage and that's yeah. one, one of the coolest things about it because it's not, you have limited space on the inside and you start thinking of like all of the ways you can you know, be thrifty with that space. But, you know, when you have a bunch of external storage then you can kind of have some splurges. Nice. Nice. That's, and that's, I assume that's a inflatable paddleboard you got tucked away. It, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah nice. Well, man, that's awesome. Well, I'm so, so to talk to you about this. Uh, we'll have to get some photos from you and put them up on the show notes to this, uh, podcast so people can click in and kind of see your build out if you don't mind that. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, you know, maybe I'll do like a little video walk around or something like that too. Oh, that'd be sweet, man. Um, well, Marcus, good luck with finishing up school. Um, I'm stoked for you to enter the, the field of anesthesia. Uh, it only gets better after school. And I would highly encourage you to either keep that ambulance uh, you know, or go along with what your wife wants and, and get a van. But having, having a mobile living option uh, with two big dogs, it's so much fun as you've come to discover. And, and for other folks out there, I think this is a, it's a unique way to look at grad school and getting by. But it's something that I think that could potentially work and, and save you some money along the way. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. Uh, anything else that you'd want to say before we sound off? Um, nothing about the ambulance, but I do want to take an opportunity to thank you, John. I mean, I was, you know, in jest kind of talking about you, know, you and Kristen being my inspiration for the van. But, you know, honestly, um, I think about the times that, you know, I've driven and listened to, uh, you know, your podcast from the head of the bed and now, uh, anesthesia guidebook. And I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate it as a student. And then now, you know, looking forward to a career as CRNA and the things that you sort of have planned. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for, for us, uh, to kind of, you know, be privy to that as it continues. So oh, that's awesome. Man. That. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, and I'm, I'm stoked to get your story on the podcast. I think it's going to be something that's super unique and helpful for other people. Uh, and it's just fun. It's fun to talk about van build outs or ambulance build outs. Yeah, so, for sure. well, good luck and tell Casey, I said, what's up and, uh, let's stay in touch, man. Absolutely. Um, 
I have one little story to I'll, I'll tell you also. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the other sort of cautionary tale uh, as far as van life goes and being prepared in the wintertime, especially in the Northeast, uh, make sure you throw a little WD or something on the hinges because uh, heating options in the van in the wintertime are slim. Like last uh, year, I was just using a little My Buddy propane heater and propane heat is kind of, there's a lot, a lot of condensation. So I was at the uh, the outpatient surgery center, which again is not at the hospital. I pulled in the night before and kind of turned my rig off, climbed in the back, turned the heater on, uh, and you know got some sleep. And you know, I'm always like the first one to get there in the morning because my commute is like definitely the shortest commute. So I go to get out of my ambulance and the doors won't open. I can't <laughs> I can't open the doors. So I'm like, what the heck happened? I can't get out of the doors, right? And uh, I go up into the, uh, the front I'm just going to go through the front doors and, you know, I realized that I had also, uh, forgotten to turn off my parking lights and there's like a master switch to turn off all the power and right. I have to turn this off as well. Oh no. So my battery was completely dead and the internal locks are electric locks. Th- there's so, not like lock buttons that you can pull up. No, they're like, they're down in the, uh, Oh the no. Door. So they're, they're buried down in the door. I'm frozen into the back. I can't get out and I can't open the doors <laughs> in the front and I'm, I can literally see the entrance to get into uh, the surgery center. Oh no. I'm there, man. I'm there, but I can't get in. Right. So I'm like fumbling around. It's like, you know, 5 a.m. It's still dark. And uh, I'm like, oh yeah, I have this little multi-tool in the, in the door of the ambulance. So I like, uh, you know, dig through there, find that. And then I end up, you know, pulling one of the locks up out of the, out of the door with the, the pliers and then uh, thought about that all day long and one of the anesthesiologists ended up coming and jumping me um at the end of the day and i felt like a real winner oh my but, gosh uh, dude on your first I, day of clinical at the new site <laughs> 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 as you're living out of your ambulance in the parking lot that's uh-huh. awesome dude you're putting it together man yeah you got to yeah. think through those things you got to think about like frozen doors and stuff and how you're going to get out yeah yeah point of egress point of egress yeah and if your battery dies dude you can't flip on the lights and the sirens to get attention <laughs> to get rescued do, do your lights and sirens work uh well okay so i had to lose the lights um so, so my insurance company would insure me oh, okay a, interesting uh, that, was a, that was another huge headache like so rv insurance is way cheaper right then uh the only other way i would be able to insure it was commercial vehicle yeah so I'm uh, fortunate that I know my insurance agent. He's like, well, I think we can do this. You'll have to, you know, these are X, Y, and Z you'll have to do to the ambulance to even let the underwriters consider it. So I'm like, okay, here's a picture of X, Y, and Z. And then it still took a while for them to insure it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, eventually, you know, they were able to do that or whatever. So did you, um, did you have to take the lights off or did you just disconnect them? Uh, I, I took them off. I took them off and I actually gave them to one of the CRNAs at my uh, previous clinical site. He wanted to like put the lights and hook them up to a flashers, um, at his hunting cabin. I was like, nice. they're yours. They're yours. Dude. I like, I like to count that. So, Whatever you so, need to help me get through this clinical rotation. You need some yeah, ambulance lights. I've got ambulance lights. <laughs> that's right. I, but I still have a siren and a PA. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Nice. That is something that every, uh, van lifer needs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that's a feature that's going to go on that nice sprinter van you get down the road. Uh-huh. Nice. All right, man. Well, thanks for the story. That's a, that's a good one to close on. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You bet. <laughs> All right, Marcus. Well, we'll talk to you soon, dude. All right. Take care, buddy. See you.